Well, good evening. We are glad to be here. We are believing in Maka. Make America Calvinist again. I like it. I like it. And then we got a Gibson Les Paul guy over here telling you Calvinism and guitars. Les Paul, I'm telling you, I'm in heaven tonight here. And the Cardinals t-shirt, look at that right back there. I mean, couldn't be better, you know. And, uh, hey, I like to bounce. Yeah. Trampolines, that kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I, I could do that too. I could do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I plan on going there, but that's uh, on my bucket list, I believe. Okay. All right. We'll uh, we'll uh, we'll get started here before I get too corny. But uh, we are in chapter eight of Second Kings. Now I want to tell you. Usually most Bible studies would not do uh, a first or second Kings. Most people, uh, I'm sure from the pulpit, wouldn't be doing the Kings and such. But, you know, as I was reading through here, I go, okay, it's got three different kind of stories going on here. And when you first read it, you go, how do they relate to each other? And it's not that I'm downplaying it. It's like, boy, I've, I've got to dig to be able to make this more than just a story, because it is. It's just that it doesn't grab out at you at first until you read it over and over and over again. And then you start seeing how they're very much related. But uh, it's God's story, and so when you think of history, that's what it is, His story. And uh, does He ever have a great story for us? And the thing is, is what we see is God working throughout history. And He's the one that makes the boundaries of the nations, right? As it says in uh, Acts. Uh, It also talks about that God is sovereign and He works through kings um, and whether they be evil, whether they be good. Most kings are not usually good, unfortunately. Uh, And we see the depravity of man throughout the leadership of bad, uh, bad leaders and yet God is working His sovereign plan throughout the evil kings, so-so kings, good kings, what have you. He's doing the way that He desires to do it. And that's what's incredible about the important contents that are in this text tonight, this chapter. Um, there is a high view here. And it's a high view of God's uh, instructions. And we don't usually think of it that way as we look at a story and then another story. But as we've been going through Kings, we've been finding out really, oh, this is the character and nature of God. So we get to see tonight the, the grace of God. Again, you know, His great favor. We see... Um, not only that, but we see how He uh, has mercy upon people that don't deserve that. Uh, he also is a God who is not only love, grace, and mercy, but He's also a God who judges, and not only judging evil nations, but judging the very chosen nation that He had to work His covenant through. 
And when you see that, God is working through whether Israel wants to obey Him or not, He's still working His plan. Whether the other nations want to obey God or not, He's still working His plan. We've seen that He makes choices of people for salvation that are actually not Jews but Gentiles. And you see that kind of God in here and you go, man, He is much bigger than the way that I thought of Him. You know, the way that most people think of God. And He does things a lot different ways, doesn't He? He is a mysterious God. But to see the way that He works in these three stories, one of them is the Shunammite woman, which we've uh, seen before, uh, earlier chapter. And then where Elisha is going to predict evil to one that he initiates as being the king, the next king. And he tells him a prophecy that he's going to kill the king that is there now. And uh, Elisha knows what's going to happen to Israel when that happens. God uses nations to punish His own chosen nation that He works through Israel. But uh, at the same time, we also see them Him then show off His mercy after so many years. And we see Him judging His own nation by sending a seven-year drought. And it's incredible to see the character of God. So when you look at text in the Bible and stories, even though you may not see God up in the very showcase, He is not behind the scenes. He is up front. We just want to need, we need to see Him. And we see His great attributes and they are shining in all the glory as we look at this text tonight. By the time I finally got through with it by reading it several, 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 several times and trying to get a handle on it, it it goes, ah, this is what's happening. And I will say in 50 minutes, hopefully we can all have a grasp on these three stories and how they come together. Uh, let's uh, let's pray. Great holy God, that's who you are. You are holy, and that is the one attribute that we must see constantly. You're holy, and you are sovereign. You're high and lifted up, far above anything that man can imagine. Uh, holy means to be separate, and you are transcendent. Uh, but yet at the same time, you are a transcendent God who comes to earth and you uh, show your mercy, your compassion, your grace, and your love. And we see what you do with your people and how you protect them and how you take care of them and you bring them all the way through till finally there is glory. And Lord, as we look again at another chapter, may it really be a blessing to us that we would know you even more. Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, we covered a little bit of the intro there. Like I say, it's three parts. You have the Shunammite woman, then you have uh, the, the one guy, Haziel, who becomes king of Syria. So we are in Israel, then we're in Syria, and then we come back to Judah. So Israel, the ten tribes, then Syria, which is the next door neighbor to Israel, and they are enemies, and then Judah, which is of part of Israel, but yet they are divided, aren't they? So, uh, here we go with uh, something here that seems maybe a little bit not quite understandable because you haven't really read it too much. 
Uh, most of the time we don't spend a lot of times in Kings, but I am glad that we kind of have been forced to, after all these years of being doing New Testament work and a few books out of the Old Testament, now we're in some books that are really challenging to me because it's not like I can do the straight expository work that we would do like, for instance, Romans or Ephesians. But you see the same God in, in these texts. And you get to know how He works with the people and how they work against Him or for Him. So the first um, section that we'll be dealing with is a Shunammite woman. And it's dealing with, at the time of a seven-year famine that's going to happen. Um, Vel, won't you do the first two verses there? Read those. Elijah said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Get ready you and your household, and go, live as a resident alien wherever you can. For the Lord has announced a seven-year famine, and it has already come to the land. So the woman got ready and did what the man of God said. She and her household lived as resident aliens in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Okay. A couple of verses there that get us uh, kind of into what the story is about. Uh, Elisha is really the prophet at this time. There are other prophets, and Elisha is a prophet that is really representing Israel, the ten tribes. The ten tribes that split off from what would be Judah and also Benjamin. And we know that they have no good kings. They've had, there are actually prophets there that God has used. Elisha being one of the greatest prophets ever. And we have seen one miracle after another, after another, after another. There are more recorded by Elisha than there was Elijah. Although most people write their books and do the talking about Elijah, Elisha, uh, we see even more miracles written about him. Now, who did the most, we don't know. But as far as what's recorded here, Elisha did. And he is known not only in Israel, but in Judah, and also in Syria, and all over. He is very well known. He's famous. And a lot of people hate him because he tells the truth. And the truth sometimes is very disfavorable to yourself and <laughs> country. Uh, but we know that he is quite a man of God. He's called that quite often. So, he's speaking to the woman whose son he had restored to life. This is the Shunammite woman, and we've already had the story on her. And I think that came out of chapter 4, if my memory serves me correct. Chapter uh, 4, 8, if you wanted to turn back there for a moment. Uh, there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem where there was a prominent woman and she persuaded him to eat food and so it was as often as uh, he passed he turned in there to eat food. So every once in a while he'd go by that area he would stop at this house. This woman is a woman of God uh, and she knows that Elisha is a great man of God, a prophet. She said to her husband, Behold now I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please let us make me uh, make a little walled upper chamber and let uh, us set a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. It shall be whenever he comes to us that he can turn in there. A nice place to stay. If he's in the area, he can drop off in there. He's all over the land. He travels a lot. He travels to the different three seminaries that are around where there are sons of prophets there. And so in his traveling, it's nice to know you got a place to go. Well, God favors this woman. 
God favors uh, Elisha, obviously here. He's got a room of his own that she fixed uh, fixed up. She winds up that she doesn't really have any children, right? And as a result, we know that God blesses her, bears a son. Elisha prophesied that. And then uh, her child grows up to a certain age. He's still kind of young. And what happened to him? He dies. He's out in the heat. Not too unlike the 100 degree temperatures we've had, only maybe a little worse. And uh, he died because of that. And uh, of course, Elisha is around and he winds up being used by God to resuscitate him. And he comes back to life. This woman has been blessed and at first she was thinking, why was he given to me and then he dies? Right? That would be an automatic thought. Okay, that's the introduction to that, the Shunammite woman. Now, here it is in chapter 8, and it's, er, yeah, chapter 8. It's interesting that this time period is going to throw us off. Well, we've had a famine in the chapter before. Remember that? It was a seven-year famine. Remember that? This probably goes back before that. And not always does the kings go chronological. We tend to think that. That's what will really mess you up. There's three good reasons for it. I'm going to give you one to save time and then not even try to battle with the other ones because I think they're a little bit too outlandish. I think the deal is is that this is before the time that we had just read about where there was the siege of Samaria and then there was that famine going on. I think before that, sometime, Elisha had come to this woman and he gave her great counsel. And he's saying who restored the son to life. So we know who that is. And he says, "Go arise, go with your household. So it's probably the son and maybe the husband is still alive. Uh, he's probably not doing very well. He's, I think he's rather, uh, he's, he's older. and uh, But it, it would seem that he's probably still there. He says, okay, sojourn wherever you can sojourn. Take your trip. You're going to have to travel because the Lord has called for a famine. Now, where's the famine coming from? God. Does God cause weather problems? Yes, He does. <laughs> Earthquakes, famines, you name it. Tsunamis, tornadoes. What's that? He's the only one that can. That's right. If if he's not doing it, who's doing it? And is it out of control? So it's, I'd much rather know that, okay, he brought that bad weather. But he also brings good weather. Have you ever heard the people that believe in God? Uh, believing that, oh, God gave us a great day today. All Christians will. But if it's storming and it's really windy and hard out, you know, people say, boy, it's a really horrible day out today. And they'll never say, well, God brought this. Well, He did. And in this case, He brought a famine. Why would He bring a famine? A good reason. This is Israel. Israel has been very disobedient. By the way, they don't really even worship the true God. Who are they worshiping? They are now worshiping Baal. Remember Ahab, uh, who married who? Jezebel. And she helped bring in the worship of Baal. Well, Baal is going to make an effect not only in Israel for quite a while now, but guess where? By the time we get to the end of this chapter, we'll see it seeping down, going all the way into Judah. Judah. This reminds me of any 
talking about, you know, how is God feeding his people? Well, right here he sent Elisha to tell the woman to get up. And so what's he do? He takes care of his people different ways. But guess where she's going to go? She goes to the Philistine area, which is an absolute enemy. They are terrible as far as their beliefs are. But God can keep His people. Matter of fact, He saves people from that land. He saves people from Tyre and Sidon, evil places. And But if He has His chosen, He can take them right in there and He can provide for them. And what, what else does this tell you? The Philistine area is right alongside Israel. It's it's considered part of Israel today in some areas, or they will call it different names. But really, it's really Israel. It's almost like Texas and Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically it. But she's going to hide out there. God's going to protect her, and He does. And that's where she goes. Seven years. No famine in the Philistine area. They're ungodly people. Israel, God's chosen people. They're supposed to be godly people. Well, they're not. They're no worse or no better than the Philistines, honestly. So God really does a lot of things that just mess our minds up. We tend to think we take God too small. And when you start opening the Bible up, what does it do? It starts giving you a higher, bigger view of God than you could ever do in your own mind. Matter of fact, your own mind will never go that way. But what we're trying to do is stretch ourselves out here and and look at at God here. But the Philistine fields are flourishing. Uh, soil of Israel is nothing but weeds and barrenness. And really the difference between Israel and the Philistines at this time is that the sin of Israel was more intolerable because they had been revealed who the true God is. And He will punish that and discipline it. And you know what? The Lord always provides for His secret ones, His elect ones. He always has, always will. And here go, here we go again in, in this story. So, uh, Avel, verse uh, 3, 4, 5, 6 there. Okay. It says, When the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, at the end of the seven years, she went to appeal to the king for her house and field. The king had been speaking to Gehazi, Gazi, the attendant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things Elisha has done. While he was telling the king who Elisha how Elisha restored the dead son to life, the woman whose son had been restored to life came and appealed to the king for her house and field. So, Gaza said, My lord the king, this is the woman, and this is the son Elisha restored to life. When the king asked the woman, she told him the story. So the king appointed a court official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, along with all the income from the field, from the day she had left the country until now. Okay, we've got a king here, king of Israel. He's actually a worshiper of Baal now. 
and look at the way that God works through the king and puts favor upon this Shunammite woman. She had favor as she went, as she was told to go by the prophet. She goes, stays there seven years. By the way, when Elijah had a famine happen, how many years was that? Three and a, three and a half years, right? Yeah. Half of this. This is even worse. And that was judgment upon them. At that time, now he puts even more on them. Seven years. Well, I mean, David did reach out and ask, you know, why is the famine? You know, and they came and told him why, and then they corrected it. But these people haven't reached out to God, you know, especially according to the verses above. It took a woman eating another woman's child for the king to tear his robe and seek to kill Elijah. Because <laughs> he knew God brought that punishment on him. Yeah. He was right at that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's incredible, isn't it? That was a different story. Yeah. Different story. Yeah. I think it's interesting, though, because, like you said, the king of the Israelite king at the time was Baal. Baal was the king of the god of the weather who would be controlling, who they would be worshiping and thinking was controlling the so this is, once again, God showing His power over make-believe idols that humans cause, saying, hey, Baal's not the one controlling the weather. It's, it's I, Yahweh. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that is, and you see that all the way through here. Every time it's like that. It's, and that's, that's really interesting to think. We've got the only true God. We know for sure. We always have the winning God, the old, only true God. What they specialized in, right? What they specialized in, too, and all throughout the, the Old Testament, you see God challenging and defeating and destroying the made up gods of the Israelites, the Egyptians, and all the other people, and still have his people turning their back on them. Isn't that great? Yep. God does it every time. All throughout the Bible, He's doing that. So the lady comes back. She appeals to the king. She wants her land back. She might have left it to somebody that she was related to or her husband was related to. Uh, we're not told. But you just don't leave a house if somebody can take care of it somehow because what's it going to look like in a year? Two years. <laughs> Seven years? Oh, man, it would go back. You know, everything always goes back to nature You know, if you don't take care of it. We can go a few weeks, maybe get away with it with the lawn, you know, getting way up there, but after a while, and then all of a sudden it's going to overtake. Well, evidently, somebody was taking care of it, and it's really hers. So she was able to, and the king at this time here is like the judge of the nation. So it gets like to the supreme court, and she she's able to get it to him. How she got the uh, access to that, I don't know, but she was a prominent woman, if you remember. So she had connections, uh, and guess what? This is where God's favor just comes in. It, it is tremendous. I mean, and, and the thing is, you have. You have the king, he's talking with Gehazi. Now, who's Gehazi? The servant of Elisha. Well, remember what happened to him. He got greedy and he went crazy. So this was before that. 
Yeah, this is before that time. And now it's making a little sense. It's just, you know, and, and so a lot of times we think everything has to be chronological. And that's not always the case. Most of the time it kind of is, but not always. And uh, so we won't get thrown by that. Otherwise, you say, how does this make any sense? Can I tell something out there? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I run into a lot of that where the older commentators and a lot of those guys, that's where I find most of my commentaries. You don't see hardly any new guys ever doing Second Kings or anything. But you'll see the Matthew Henrys and uh, some of the writers of the 1800s and even further back. And a lot of times they will refer back to the Jewish writings or Josephus. They rely on that a lot. And they don't push it, but they will say, here's what the Jews say. And there might be some truths to those. Um, so, you know, it's it's always interesting to see what it is. So you throw it out there and say, hey, something else to think about. Um, anyway, um, Gehazi is there and the kings want to know, hey, what about all the great things that Elisha has done? What's been going on lately? Does he know about Elisha? Absolutely. How could he miss? And we know that there's been a lot of miracles that had been wrought. He knew about the dividing of the waters of the Jordan River and the, the healing of those people like near uh, Jericho. We talked about their... Uh, Do you know who the king is? It just says the king. Yeah, um... I think you've got Ben Hadad there, possibly, but Ben Hadad can be a number of kings, and a lot of times it just means he's the, that king of Syria. So I don't really have a name for us either on that. And sometimes we run into that, sometimes we get into specific names. Um, so I, I can't really can't really say. Nobody really could. Uh, some, uh, you know, make conjectures, you know, and possibilities. We do know we have Gehazi here that's involved. Uh, anyway, uh, what other mir- Oh, uh, the water for the armies of the of the three kings that were going up against what was it? Was it uh, Moab, right? No, and okay, the three kings and Edom. Okay, and so they all came together to to war against them. So they, there was water that showed up. And it confused the attacking army, and they thought, "Oh, they're they're out there, you know, and they're just we can go get them, you know." And it, it drew them into all sorts of problems, uh, multiplying the oil, the widow's oil, and all of those kind of things. The Shunammite woman. Anyway, he wants to talk. Hey, what's going on with Elisha? Since Gehazi is there, Gehazi's you know right next his right hand man, you know servant. And then in verse 5, you see the providence of God here. 
as he was relating to the king how he had restored to life the one who was dead, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and for her field. And Gazi said, hey, my lord, the king, this is the woman. This is her son right here. <laughs> there they are, just right there at the right time. Yes? I'm just going to throw this, going back just a little bit. According to Britannica, Jordan was the king of Israel at the time. So King Jordan is who they To who? Or, uh, where, Oh, oh which, which, what did you say? According to Britannica? Britannica. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we got, we've got a situation here that is uh, kind of interesting. And it's not by accident at all, is it? So the king asked the woman, uh, hey, uh, so if you're the one, then... And she's asking, you know, I want I, I want my land and my house back. And uh, here's the favor of God. Not only does she get the land and the house back, but all the produce of the field from the day that she left the land even until now. And I have to wonder if God kind of blessed that little area there where she had lived. There's something that she's coming back to, and not only is it, you know, kind of in a shambles, <laughs> actually, it uh, is just like uh, it was before, only even better because she gets the produce here. Multiply it. For seven years, you can't survive seven years without having something. There's, there's, it's scant, you know, everywhere, but if there's enough there that, you know, people, otherwise, you wouldn't have anybody left in the nation, right, right. there. It all had to left, and that wasn't the case, but it is a pretty serious thing. And so here it is. This is the providence of God. It overrules always. Numberless times God's providence has played in your life. You know that? Where things just kind of worked out, just happened. You know, whether it be a house or a car or important things in your life. There's never any accidents God is involved in. So it, what does it do? It promotes His glory. And the people's comfort whenever He is providing and providence. So would you say you get a huge favor from the king who is an idolater? God uses him in a very favorable way. Nice to know, isn't it? That's the kind of God we have. And there he takes great favor on this woman. You'd probably say, whatever happened to that woman? Well, there we have it. Okay, part two. Now you get Elisha involved again, and you're going to have Haziel become king. Um, there's a verse or two I need to go back to, but we'll get there in a moment. Uh Elisha is going to go to Syria, Damascus, Syria. Now that's like going to Moscow. What's the capital of China? <laughs> what is it? Yeah, Beijing. Uh, or you just think of enemies and going right there. Now, there are reasons why he went there, but I think there's one main reason. Uh, let's read. Let's read. Uh, 
7 through 9. Okay. Elisha came to Damascus. While King Ben-Hadad of Aram was sick, and the king was told, The man of God has come here. So the king said to Hazel, Take a gift with you, and go meet the man of God. Inquire of the Lord through him. Will I recover from this sickness? Hazel went to meet Elisha, taking with him a gift, forty camel loads of all the finest produce of Damascus. When he came and stood before him, he said, Your son, King Ben-Hadad of Aram, has sent me to ask you, Will I recover from this sickness? Okay, we'll hold there. Elisha, it says here, came to Damascus. Whoa. Uh, but do you remember Naaman? the Syrian, captain of the army, of the whole army of Syria, great position, became a leper, and then Elisha, with God's power, God using Elisha, then healed him. And when he said, go, really, go seven times into the Jordan and dip, and of course he made fun of that, and he was really kind of angry and mad about it. But he wound up doing it, and we know that the leprosy left. What you have here now, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think it's all over Syria how great a man that this Elisha is. And whether it be famine or whatever, we know that Elisha is going there, and he's really going there to anoint Haziel to be king. There is a king there now, the king of Syria. It's called Ben-Hadad, but you'll run into Ben-Hadad several times, and it's kind of like saying Caesar. A lot of times when you know which Caesar that, that is, it's okay, you know, it's Julius Caesar or whatever. But there's, you know, it, it meant you know, the leader of that, that nation. But to declare that Hazel would be king of Syria is something that was told by God to Elijah to do. And you guys remember that? Go back to 1 Kings 19. This is going way back when. 1915. And this is Elijah. The Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram or Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meloah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Stop there for a moment. Get a hold of this. This is incredible. Whenever God works, it's, I don't think Elijah just ignored God and just didn't do it. But I think it's something to be done if you have one the prophet office going, and then uh, you know Elisha is like Elijah. It's carrying that on. We need to get these three guys anointed. Now we do know that he did Elisha, didn't he? The the whole mantle deal and everything. And he's official prophet. What a prophet he is! One of the greatest ever. And so now we have these two other guys. And he says, when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel king over Aram. We never really see that happen, but we do see it happen here in 2 Kings with Elisha doing this duty. 
of, hey, no knock on Elijah here. Maybe he just ran out of time, but it was to that that office of the prophet is going to be done, and it carries on down to him to do it. Whatever the deal is, everybody has their own ideas, but we'll just say this is something that Elisha is going to do. Now, so we know Elisha was anointed. We got these two guys. One of them is Haziel, and the other one is Jehu. Jehu, we will see in the next chapter. Um, go back to your Second Kings now. What is going on here is what what is mounting what this is amounting to is that Haziel has to be the king that God's going to use to be able to punish Israel. Now they've been warring in each other and Syria has been a thorn in Israel's side. And they've gone in there as marauders, and the marauders don't come anymore because we heard about that. But they did bring their army again later on. But it was a horrible time, and of course they were taking people and, and making them slaves. The Syrians were from the Israelites. It was a, it was an awful time. God is trying to wake them up, you know. And then He uses famines. He uses all of these things. They never do come to, back to Him as a, as a nation, as the tribes. There are elect people. There are seven thousand who've not bowed the knee to Baal. So what do we what do we have here? God is going to use these three men to actually defeat the thought of having Baal as their God. And what he does, he has Elijah, then Elisha. Now Elisha is going to come and bring on a punishment, severe punishment and the prophecy is given so that uh, Haziel will be leading in that. That's the man that God wants to use. Right here it says, uh, in back to our Second Kings 8, uh, this Ben-Hadad king of uh, Syria was sick. It was told him he, was, he had been out in battle and wounded and such, and he's really worn down. Now he's deathly sick. It looks like he's going to die. Most people think he's going to die. The man of God has come here. So he finds out, he says uh, to Haziel, who is you know, kind of a, a servant of him or right underneath him, says, take a gift, go to meet the man of God, inquire about the, you know, of the Lord from him, because we know Elisha will give us the truth. <laughs> the kings don't usually want the truth. Will I recover from the sickness? Well, if you were a false prophet, what would you say? Sure. Absolutely, you're going to make it. So Haziel said, okay. He went out there and met him. It took all this gift. Look at this, 40 camels loads. Uh, that's a lot. And remember, at this time, a lot of people were really having difficulties, you know, and there's been famines, and they're not doing well financially, and we got 40 camels loads, and they came and stood before him, said, your son, Ben Hadad. He's talking to Elisha. Now there's a, a, a stumbler. Your son, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, is a son of Elisha? Well, not literally in the sense of father and son. It's a matter of great respect. And that's why he is called son there. Not in the literal sense, but in the sense that he knows that this is a great man. And yes, the king is almost submitting to the prophet from another nation, of another God. Bingo. Elisha, when he got the troops of the Sumerians, 
you know, to stand before the king of Israel, they were all surrounding them. You know, the king of Israel went to him and said, you know, my father, you know, what should we do with these people? There we go. That exactly. He used that same kind of terminology and uh, of deep high respect. Uh, he's rated over the king, really, in that sense. And so he knows that he's going to get an answer. And he says, uh, will I recover from the sickness? That's what the king is asking. Any prophet for hire would say, no problem. You're, you got it. You're going to make it. And in a way, Elisha is going to say that. But, okay, uh, let's... Uh, by the way, isn't it interesting that God is working with the Gentiles and heathens here? And we know that Jesus... Uh, remember, there, there was a poor woman of Canaan that uh, that He was sent to. Or how about the lost sheep of the house of Israel? He said, uh, I was only sent to the lost house of the sheep of Israel. So, you know, I'm just basically to the Israelite people. But actually, he went out from Israel outside the boundaries a little bit too. But we know the disciples later took it on all over the land, on over into Europe and Asia and Africa and spread out all over the world. Jesus only had a limited time. He had a three and a half year ministry. Uh, so he was concentrating on one area, but we did know that he was also to save the Gentiles. It's all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, it's interesting that uh, Ben-Hadad and, of course, uh, the man here, Haziel, go from hatred to reverence, knowing who he is. Okay, uh, a great present is offered here, and it's far beyond than what Naaman even offered. You remember, Naaman was offering a lot. And, uh, of course, what did the prophet say? No. Elisha said, don't want anything. Okay, 10 through 13 there. Well, this is Elisha's prophecy. Elisha told him, Go, say to him, You are sure to recover. But the Lord has shown me that he is sure to die. Then he stared steadily at him until he was ashamed. The man of God wept, and Hazel asked, Why is my Lord weeping? He replied, Because I know the evil you will do to the people of Israel. You will set their forests on fire. You will kill their young men with the sword. You will dash their children to pieces. You will rip open their pregnant women. Hazel said, How could your servant a mere dog, to such a mighty deed. Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you will be king over Aram. Of all that, he was there. That's all he got out of this thing. Yeah. I was like, surely I wouldn't do such wicked things. So, yeah. so I am. <laughs> That's all he got. Oh, really? Oh, she would let me start as soon as I get back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of people I think will look through the Old Testament and they'll read these things and they'll say, "See, God approves of this kind of behavior." Yeah, and it's God has never approved. God does not say that He approves of this kind of behavior. Yeah. and He lets him do it. Well. 
So uh, uh, that's all he does is speak the word of the Lord. That's what Elisha does. I can't think of anything better to say than something that comes from the Lord. Whatever comes out of my mouth is really not going to make much difference in this world. <laughs> but if it's coming from the Lord's words, if my mouth is being used, it then I get to give glory to God in that sense. But it's it's His thinking, and so Elisha said, hey, "Okay, tell him this: you'll recover." but you're going to certainly die. That's rather ambiguous, isn't it? How clear is that? What is that? How clear as mud. What's going to happen is that he's going to recover from the sickness, but he's going to die from a very violent death. I mean, it's it's not going to be a good thing. And the one who's going to cause the violent death, the executioner himself, is Haziel, who's right underneath the king. Himself, how does this happen? And the man of God prophesies it; it cannot do anything but happen. And this is what God is telling him: this is what's going to happen. And uh, so, what's interesting as verse eleven, after he tells him this, he's certainly going to die. He says, he fixed his gaze steadily on him. So Elisha looks right at him. Just stared at him intently, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, Hazel's feeling really weird here. Uh, what's going on? And he fixed on his eyes on him till he was ashamed, because he is. There's something stirring in his thinking and his thoughts. And it's kind of like Judas. You know, go and do what you're going to do. He was chosen to do that by God, but who's responsible for it? Judas. How does that happen? Uh, Basically, God is the one who has that all worked out. It's why does He choose some and why not choose others? You know, what? Well. This looks like a really hard kind of God here and a hard prophet. But remember who they are and what they've done for years and years and years and he still hasn't gotten their attention. (laughs) Although they admire the man in in a lot of ways. And so uh, Haziel says, why why are you weeping? The prophet's grieving now because he knows exactly what Hazel's going to do. Either God is revealed before or is revealed right then and there. As he has said the words, he knows what Hazel's going to do. Now you would think, first of all, okay, we know that the other king, uh, Ben-Hadad, has been raiding Israel and maybe God's going to replace that and no more from the enemy anymore. No, it's quite the opposite. We're going to get the job done now. I mean, this is going to be done very harshly. And he says, why why are you weeping? He says, because I know the evil that you will do to the sons of Israel. They're strongholds. You're going to set on fire. 
This is detail. Young men, you'll kill with the sword. Their little ones, you'll dash in pieces. And their women with child, you'll rip up. He just told him a prophecy. And Hazel's probably he's thinking, why would you say that about me? Am I a dog that I would go in and do something like that? Yeah, it's a negative word. Okay. It's a horrible Good. thing. He can't imagine himself doing that. He did have a little bit of something. Or maybe just to use face. You know what? Is he calling himself a dog because he's they're not you know how Jesus said, I'm surrounded by dogs? You know. I think he's acting like it's a, it's a ferocious thing. Well, who, who is it? You know, it, it's a dog that would do such a thing. This is a horrible... It's the worst thing that an Israelite could ever call anybody. You know, in the New Testament, it relates to that, you know, where they call them dogs. Right. I mean, you know, now today, it's like, hey, dog, how you doing? You know? It's cool. But back then, you know, dogs were mangy. They were horrible. You didn't bring them into the house for pets. You know, they weren't cocker spaniels or little cute little dogs like that. Pekingese and... I mean, these dogs were the ones that hung out in the streets and ate the trash and they'd turn over your garbage cans and you'd come running out there and they'd be making a mess all over your yard and that kind of thing. Uh, what we're looking at here is that Hazel is a representative of human nature because every one of us would say, well, I would, I'm not that bad. We all said that before. Until we learned the grace of God, we thought, "Well, we're you know, I've I'm okay. I've done some things. Yeah, okay, I've sinned, but you know, I haven't killed anybody. I you know, I, I haven't murdered. I haven't you know, I haven't really done anything really bad." Stolen from anybody except for that one guy. Right. Besides that. <laughs> He go through all the Ten Commandments and we broke every one of them. And we, if we didn't do it physically, we did it mentally, right? And, and here it is that all men like Him would shudder at such a crime and such a thing, but when the passion comes upon one, and now He sees His chance to become King. All of a sudden, his mind is really showing what he really is. And without remorse, he's going to do these actions. And so Haziel couldn't imagine himself so bad, but the heart of mankind has no idea how evil and wicked they really are. Without Christ, we don't stand a chance. There is nothing good about us. No man seeks after God. I mean, from head to foot, all of us are nothing. And we are worse than nothing. We are very evil and wicked, perverse generation. Uh, the imagination that's in our hearts is just horrible. And, you know, it's, it's amazing. The honor here that is now kind of bestowed upon Hazel uh, changes men's manners. All of a sudden, he's told by the prophet that really he's going to be the king now. And 
those honors that come upon men usually are not for the better. And a lot of times one would wonder, well, I, I want a bigger business. I want bigger barns. I want this. I want a bigger ministry. And, and you know what? Some of those guys are given those ministries. And then later on you see what happens. Shoom. And it drops. And, and it changes themselves. And the pride comes. And then the fall comes. And Haziel, who was... A nobody really. He didn't come from royalty. He didn't come from the loins of the, the king there. And now, out of nowhere, even though he's probably a, a great leader, uh, you know, like a, a general or such, and uh, now we see that he returns to the king. Um, he departed from Elisha, returned to his master, who said to him, Well, what did Elisha say to you? And he answered, He told me that you would surely recover. And he did. But he didn't tell him the rest of it, did he? On the following day, I guess he really started thinking it over, didn't he? He took the cover and dipped it in water and spread it on his face so that he died. And Haziel became king in his place. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like like the first um, water (laughs) Without any mark or without any sign of violence, you know, and this makes it look like he didn't even kill him. That he was going to die anyway, that the people thought. And I'm sure he's thinking that. Okay, if I'm going to be king, then let's do this, but let's do it in a way that will not cause all sorts of problems, you know. He takes this thick cloth or bed clothes uh, made of uh, like goat's hair, something like that, dips it in the water, and then he comes to the king who is, I guess he's recovering from his sickness. Uh, still there, but he uh, he he has water. He sucks it a great deal in because his face is down, you know, in in the bed there, and he has, he's laying on his face and he's pressing hard upon it. And you can imagine that there's probably water that's going into the mouth and nostrils and suffocating him there. And no marks that it really leaves of violence. No suspicion comes on and of course he's been a, a, a leader in in the army and such and it would bode well him being like a general and he had done some exploits probably that people would recommend him to the regard of this and uh, he is now the king he became king in his place wow God caused this to happen basically but it's called secondary causes a lot of times God does things through people. Uh, he can do primary causes, but a lot of times in this case, He's secondary. That's His desire. That's His will. His purpose is all involved, but yet it's carried out by mankind. The man who does these things is held responsible because out of His own free will, His own bad, evil nature... That's what free will really is when you when you call spiritual things in that sense. We see what he does, uh, and he really shows who he really is, and that's really what all man is. 
whenever they get opportunities, they will take advantage of that. And He well does. God gets His will done. And through this man, He's going to be more prestigious than the previous king and that He's going to wreak havoc all over Israel. And the way that He does it is un- it's not speakable. Okay, now, we've had two stories what have we seen so far? We've seen where there has been grace, a favor upon the Shunammite woman, favor that came from the Israelite king, and we see God taking care of His people as He did, and He used an, an evil king to help that carry along. And then we have this story where God gets this one man who was not going to be king, he's now going to be king, he's going to become ruthless to bring upon punishment and judgment upon his people Israel. Okay, part three, and we are at almost seven o'clock. I'm going to speed it up and just comment on as we as we read it through. Well, I, I, I'll tell you why I want to do it. And otherwise, I would stop right here. It's too good to speed through it, but I will tell you, what it, it's now going to make sense. We've got God's chosen people here in that first story. Then we have Israel, right? And the king treating God's people good, but he was an evil king, evil Israel, and now we're going to go to Judah. And so everything's going good down in Judah, and of course they had a good king, Jehoshaphat and everything, and uh, you know the spirituality there is going good, yeah, and then boom. You ready? Here we go. Now in the fifth year, and we might come back to this and cover it again, but now all of these three stories will now come together. You ready? Now in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel. Okay, now, ten tribes, Israel, right? Joram is the son of Ahab. Ahab, that wicked king. Now, we, we go on him. Jehoshaphat being the king of Judah. Because all along we've said, what what's happening down in Judah? Well, Jehoshaphat was king. Was Jehoshaphat good? Yes. There were good kings in Judah. They had some bad ones. All bad kings, though, were in Israel. There were some bad in Judah. Jehoshaphat's good. He did some good things. Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, became king. So you have uh, Jehoshaphat and his son's going to be Jehoram. It had been good and, and uh, Jehoshaphat believed in the one true God and everything. Okay, Jehoram, his son, 32 years old, when he became king, he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel, Judah. He walks in the way of the kings of Israel and he tells which king? Just as in the house of Ahab. He was the worst. The worst king ever had done, and for the daughter of Ahab became his wife. We knew about that. Ahab had a daughter, and we'll see her name in a moment. And guess what? She is the wife now of the king of Judah. The and she as from her mother is who Jezebel. That ought to tell us a lot. And what kind of religion is going to happen now in Judah? It happened. Can you believe it? No, Judah, no way! Yep, that's right. And so, um, 
He did evil in the sight of the Lord in 1819. However, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant since he had promised him to give a lamp to him through his sons always. This is Judah, the lion from the tribe of Judah. David was the king of Judah. What tribe was he from? Where He was given a covenant in Samuel chapter 7. And guess what? That is going to be an everlasting covenant. The Messiah is going to come through the tribe of Judah. God is not going to destroy Judah or do away with them. The ten tribes, He scattered them all over the place. There was a remnant and elect in there. They wound up being a part of Judah later. But Judah, a hundred years later after Israel, will then also be judged. Babylon will come along, but they will return there. Judah will. So, in his days, okay, now, while Jehoshaphat was king, things were going pretty good. Only thing is, it's funny, he always kind of helped out the king in Israel. Went to war a couple of times with him in battle. Uh, Went with Ahab of all people. What are you doing? Bad company corrupts good morals, right? And by the way, why is he letting his son marry the daughter of Jezebel? And I'm going, you know, grace isn't automatic. Just because a parent is a believer doesn't mean that the child that they have is going to be a believer. You say, well, if you parent them, then that guarantees that they're going to be believers. No, it doesn't. Because God saves by grace. He doesn't. Now, the parents are to teach their children, but yet we can't guarantee even their salvation. Uh, in this case, I'm sure Jehoshaphat wished he would have, but he couldn't do a thing about it. It's up to God who saves. Okay, now, in his days, Edom revolted from the, from the hand of Judah. See, now it's, it's, we're, we're talking about Judah. We've been talking about Israel, right? It's Judah. He made a king over themselves. Edom has been underneath Israel. They pay taxes to them, pay tribute to them. And ever since David, for 150 years, they've been underneath. There's a prophecy that uh, goes to, uh, to this, and it actually is very interesting. Genesis 27, that's what it is. Genesis 27, verse 40. You have Isaac gives really a prophecy. You have Jacob and Esau. And then in verse 40, by your sword you shall live and your brother you shall serve. He's speaking to Esau. By your brother Jacob, you're going to be really underneath him, really. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. Um, this is, you know, Esau, and then you think of Edom and, and that area, and uh, a lot say that's a fulfillment of the prophecy there that was given, and then later on, that's that's what happens. Uh, Edom had been serving Israel. And here they revolt against Judah. Then Joram crossed over to Zair and all his chariots with him, and he arose by night and struck the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captain of the chariots, but his army fled to their tents. So he's defeating them there. He even has some chariots. And he struck them, surrounded them. And you'll notice, but his army fled to their tents. 
Edom revolted against Judah to this day. He had them. He had the chance to defeat them totally. What happened? Libna revolted at the same time. Now they get word. They're ready to conquer the Edom totally. And uh-oh, you go to Libna, and that's in your own country. We've got to revolt up there. We've got to go, guys. Boom. They bolted out of there. Uh, the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles, Kings of Judah, and other writings and such? Joram slept with his fathers. He died. He was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Ahaziah, his son, became king in his place. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel. Now we go up there. You've got another Joram happening here. This is where it gets confusing. The son of Ahab, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Twelfth year of Joram in king of Israel. Then you have Ahaziah, and it's comparing. It's Judah and Israel now. Twenty-six, Ahaziah was twenty-two years old when he became king. He reigned one year. This is mercy. God just lets him reign one year. And his mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Amra, the king of Israel. Uh, well, who is that? That is the daughter of who? He walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab had done because he was a son-in-law of the house of Ahab. Uh, Then he went with Joram the son of Ahab to war against Haziel king of Syria at Ramoth-Gilead and the Aramean Syrians wounded Joram. So King Joram returned to the head of Jezreel of the wounds which the Arameans had inflicted on him at Ramah when he fought against Hazael, king of Aram. Then Ahaziah, the son of Joram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, and Jezreel because he was sick. So the kings are getting along with each other. They're buddy-buddy. They have different gods. They're supposed to. No, they don't. Because now you have really the god of... of well, the whole area of the Canaanites, which is Baal. Uh, real quick, went over that really quick, like you say there, uh, Abel, and we might just kind of come back to that a little bit. But Ahaziah walked in the way of Ahab, and you've all got this going. I want to reflect real quick, tie it up together now. Okay, the first reflection, uh, we have, we think of the, the inheritance being secured for the woman, the Shunammite woman, and she's restored, well, infinitely more that is restored to us that whenever we are redeemed and we get our inheritance secured, we are co-heirs with Christ, we inherit everything. We inherit His glory, right? Okay, number one. The second one, how about the character of all men whenever we looked at Haziel? And it's not from any in, uh, difference in nature, but wholly from preventing and restraining grace. We would all be that if God didn't come in and restrain us from doing evil and continuing in that. He restrains us. He prevents us from doing that and converts us. Otherwise, we're all Haziel. Do you get the, kind of get the idea? He thought he was okay. thought he was good. And he saw how evil he really was. We were kept by the power of God. By the way, he can take us from the lowest station and take us to a really high station here in the world. And guess what can happen at that high station? Maybe that's why God keeps us small sometimes. Maybe that's why I never became a rock star. (laughs) 
Maybe that's why I didn't become a Major League Baseball player. Those are the two things that I wanted to be. Where did God put me at? The least likeliest thing that I would ever choose for myself to ever preach and teach the Gospel. I had no clue, no idea. High school, college. Uh, I was into my 30s before I even thought about anything like that. So catch that. Number three, uh, it's for David's sake. It's David's sake is why he doesn't destroy Judah, the promise, the covenant. No matter what, he will keep that promise and covenant and there will be a remnant in, in those people. Um, you know what? We can be discouraged by sin and have times of unbelief. But you know what? Judah's Lord still lives. He reigns. And He will make it come out the way that He wants. And now you take those three stories that seem to be not even related. He's working through Judah. He's working through Israel. Evil kings. And we see how evil and wicked they are. And yet we see the sufficiency and fullness of Christ for His people and then punishment and discipline upon the ones who disobeyed Him time after time after time. He is a just God. They deserve the punishment. As we all do, some don't get His punishment. They get mercy. They get grace. They get love. Now, do you see the three stories? Does it help? Let's pray. Father, great God, You are holy, certainly indeed, and Your plan, Your sovereign plan, is way beyond even all of our imaginations. But at the same time, we can look back in history and it's Your story, and we see You working in there totally. You are the one doing these things to make Your plan come out the way it should be. You are not evil at all. You are nothing but good. And mankind is evil, but you take a few, and you take some, and you turn them into your family with an inheritance that is glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen.